Boy, this is, this is a tad intimidating this morning. Uh, Nick, you want to come up and just share what you shared? Uh, <laughs> you did so good in Sunday class. I, I thought you'd just come on up here and just give us, give us the rundown because he did a great job talking about the resurrection in Sunday school class. Um, well, I'm going to get right to it before I get any more nervous than what I am. Um, Bill Gaither, what a treasure to the church. How many great songs he has written. Um, but his knack for spotting talent is amazing. Brenda and I just happened to be, and I titled this message from one of his songs, Because He Lives. Um, we were watching um, just this week some of the reruns of their singing time, and one of them popped up in 1968. And we thought, my goodness, look at the style of clothing they had back then. <laughs> but he, um, he spotted Sandy Patty. Some of you might recognize that name. He also spotted a, a guy that used to play drums in a praise group that I watched in Lakeland, Florida. And, uh, but he had a great voice, and it was Bill Gaither that spotted that voice. Larnell Harris, you might have heard that name before. But then he also found a guy that Brenda and I actually heard him sing at the Jacksonville Coliseum with Bill Gaither. And he introduced this guy. I don't know whether, I think he was from New York. But he in, introduced him by his first name only, Carmen. Can I tell them, Brenda, what you said there? We watched, we, we heard him sing and he said, some of that, some of that. And she looked at me and says, he won't make it. Well, there was an audience for him, I can tell you that. Uh, I have a video that I thought about playing, but uh, I, don't, I don't think it'd be well received. Uh, Sunday's on the way. But I want to just share some thoughts from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Are you shocked that I went there? See, he was all over my message this morning. Um, if you'll turn there, 1 Corinthians 15, um, the celebration about Jesus' resurrection. That's what we're here for today is celebrating him. The most compelling conversion in all of Scripture is a guy that was absolutely a committed enemy to the church. And you know who I'm talking about. Saul of Tarsus who became Paul the Apostle. Not only did he not believe in Jesus, he is actually an enemy. He thought it was all a facade, all a fake, and it was his duty to stamp out this new thing called the way, the church, the believers in Jesus Christ. And, and he himself became an incredible convert. You know, at any point throughout the day, if you do not know the Lord, you can turn to him at any moment. Even right now where you're sitting, you just come to him and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I remember when Josh McDowell was... Uh, a committed atheist, and he set out to disprove the Bible. And the more he researched the Bible and history and all of that, he simply came to this conclusion. He said, well, I guess it is true. And that's all he, that's all he said. A few days later, he, he felt like he was different. He's like, what's happened to me? You know, all that Jesus needed for him to say, well, I guess it's true. 
He got born again. He didn't realize what really happened until a few days later. He says, what has happened to me? Not only was he like, okay, I guess it's true, and I can just go and live my life without fighting Christianity, but just that one statement of faith, the Lord doesn't need a whole lot, does he? So let's read the first words of 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start with verse 1, and I'm not going to read uh, a whole lot, but we're going to share some things from this passage. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to remind you, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And this was to a church that had a lot of issues. And yet he's reminding them how they got started. By this gospel, you were saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Twice, he uses the scriptures as a backup for that reality. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. What are the implications of the resurrection of Christ? Because we cannot separate the cross in the empty tomb. They're inseparable. There's some people that says, well, the, the resurrection was more powerful than the death, but you, you cannot put them side by side and try to compare them. They are the one way of salvation. Both were necessary. Someone said, well, the resurrection uh, authenticated the cross, but the cross prepared for the resurrection. You can't Separate the two. The collapse in the Garden of Eden was what was taking place on the cross. That the two first human beings fell into sin and God prophesied that the seed of the woman would be bruised on his heel and he would crush the serpent's head. Well, that cross was the bruising that was prophesied in Genesis, and God was the one who prophesied that there's going to be a remedy for sin. And because he lives, because Christ lives, we can embrace the cross in a full reality that that is the payment for our debt. One of the songs, the lyrics popped up there that his, his blood paid the debt of our sins. The power of sin was broken when Jesus died on the cross. He was paying for the entire debt. Sin will no longer, the Bible says, sin will no longer have what? Dominion or sway or power. Can I remind you that? Sin will no longer have... Can you think about it? Dominion over you, control you. Now, we may say, well, I just can't help it. But in the reality of looking at the cross, the cross is what helps you through that. The cross is what removes your inability to deal with it. And the cross will break the sin that we're having trouble being freed from. And we can live godly in Christ Jesus. And we can be overcomers in and through his death and resurrection. We no longer have to make excuses. And we are pretty good at making excuses, aren't we? We don't have to make excuses for ourselves, like giving us permission to hang on stuff that we shouldn't be hanging on to. Everybody has their issues, right? 
Everybody sins, and sometimes we use that as a disclaimer, and that's why I'm not going to let go of the sin that I like so well. Sin will always take advantage if we just take an easy approach to it. Every man, the Bible says, every man is tempted when he's drawn away by someone else's lust. <laughs> Changed it up just a little bit, didn't it? Every one of us, the reason we're tempted is because the devil knows there's a weakness there. He's not going to tempt you in areas that you're strong. He's going to go for the chink in the armor. He's going to go for your weakness. And when he says every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust, his own desire, that one thing, right? I know none of you here has one thing that really is a problem. That one thing, if you can just stop right there and say, you know what? The cross took care of that one thing. The cross took care of that one temptation. The cross took care of that one weakness. We ought to determine that I'm going to stop making excuses for this thing that I do that I, I know I'm going to do. And after I do it, I say, Lord, forgive me. And God wants to take you past that. And the cross will take you past that. Because he lives. Here's another implication of the cross and the resurrection. Because he lives, his resurrection changes the constitution of our souls. It changes the makeup of who we are. We become someone different than the person we are. We become someone under God's power that can live a godly life, not in our power, but in his power. Because he lives, he changes our souls. Listen to John chapter 11. I love this passage because Jesus is dealing with death, and he's dealing with the death of a very good friend, Lazarus, and I'm going to start with the verse 23, but the verse before that, he is being told by one of Lazarus' sisters that, uh, you know what, he, you, if he'd gotten here a few days earlier, he would not have died. How about that to put it on his shoulders, right? She was being honest, like, we, we sent you word, you didn't show up, and because you didn't show up, he died. And this was the Lord's answer to her. Your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, somewhere in the future. And Jesus said to her, I am. Boy, this is good right here. I am the resurrection and the life. And it gets even better. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, in a way, I believe this, but we got a dead brother over there in that, in that grave. Our souls are immortal. And we listen to those words. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never die. Obviously, he's not saying will not die physically. But he's saying, even when that happens, you really haven't died. Do you see what he's claiming? Jesus makes us, in the essence of salvation, he makes us immortal. He makes us where we cannot die, not in the true sense of death. Billy Graham said this, and he lived, I think, to be in his 90s. But he made this statement. 
He says, someday you will read and or hear that Billy Graham is dead. And I think we all can say we, we remember hearing that, right? Someone came up to me and told me today about someone who passed away. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. As painful as death is and dealing with the absence of a loved one, we need that truth, do we not? That there is a transition from here to there when our loved ones take their last breath. I miss my dad. He died in 2007, and my mom died in January of 2013. They're more alive than they ever were on this earth. Both of them lived to be 89 years of age, and they were five years apart in their birth. And that lets you know that she stole that guy's heart as an 18-year-old. But when they passed away, it was, it was one of the saddest days for me. I held on to them as long as I could. When they took their last breath, and I was there for my mother's, and I was heading to my dad's that morning when I, my sister called me and said he, he just finished his race, Charles. But I was there when my mother took her last breath, and this is what I said. The words that came out of my mouth was, Alzheimer's does not have any hold on her anymore. What limited her in responding to us, and she didn't talk for the last three years or so of her life, she would look at us, but one thing about it, and we all got her genes in us, she loved to eat, and that's why she lived as long as she did. She ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and she gobbled it down until December 31st when she just held the food in her mouth and refused to swallow. And a few days later, she was gone. And when my dad passed away, cancer no longer had a hold of him. Just like Billy Graham, they had changed addresses. We deal with the mundane things in life. We deal with problems. We have jobs. We have responsibilities cleaning the house, doing laundry, stuff like that. Cranking up the lawnmower, you've probably already done that. The weed eater, the pressure washer, we just got stuff we do, right? And by the way, I love pressure washing. Now, don't call me to do anything for you on pressure washing. But I might be tempted to come because you know why I like it so much? It's kind of like I love ironing my own shirts. Brenda tells you, I iron my own stuff. You know what I like about that? You see immediate results. You have a wrinkle there, and you got to have a good iron. You haven't got a good iron. Don't buy a cheap iron. A good iron that has steam, and you hit that, and you just say, look at that. <laughs> it's gone. It's like your sins are forgiven, you know? And that pressure washer, you hit that stuff, it's going. It don't have a choice. And we have things that we do, and it has no spiritual. Well, I can make spiritual out of just about anything I do. It takes a little while to see things. But I want to tell you, we do not have to change our own hearts. God does that. 
Jesus changes our hearts. We cannot change our lives. We cannot fix what is wrong with us. He does it, but he does it faster than anything we can do in the natural. All the mundane will end one day. And we need to believe these words. He that believes in me will never die. Because he lives, Christ's death and resurrection gives us hope in the midst of despair. Paul wrote to the believers in Rome in chapter 5. I'm going to read a couple of verses there in 9 and 10. He says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more? Don't you like those three words? As much as his blood has done in our lives, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, here they are again, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? His death canceled out our sin, but his resurrection gives us new life. His life is our hope. His life is our assurance. His life is the disposition that we take now, living our lives not for us, but for him. And, and this hope permeates us. It becomes part, it becomes the essence of who we are. That Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. God sees that we need purpose in life. We need a reason to go forward. His plan is to fill us with his peace, with his power, and enable us to be his witnesses in this day. He calls us to repent. He calls us to turn from our sin to God you know, I think our world in some way today would make Jesus as um, this wonderful person who'll wrap his arms around anybody and just tell them something like, I I'm sorry you're dealing with these terrible problems and it's okay, everybody has problems and, you know, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just try to help you through your problems. No, he calls people to repentance. He doesn't put his arm around the broken and says, I'm so sorry you're broken. He says, no, I have an answer for your brokenness. I have an answer to your bondage. I have an answer for, to your addiction. I can deliver you from anything that's obsessing your life. I can set you free. I'm not here to reinforce any kind of good behavior. You can't behave good enough to get God's approval. Even the woman that was brought to Jesus in John 9, he did not so much defend her. You realize that? You don't see anything that he defends her. There's nothing you can read in that chapter that he is defending her. You, you say, well, yeah, he's defending. He is telling the ones who are wanting to stone her what is wrong in their lives. He is, he is redirecting their attention away from stoning her to say, you who are without sin, you start throwing the first stone. He is reminding them of their sin. And what does he say to her? When all of that is over with, he asks her, he says, you don't have anybody here that still wants to stone you. Where, where's all your accusers at? And she looked around and said, I don't have any, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. He didn't stop there, did he? 
What did he say to her? Go and sin no more. He wasn't saying you've been taken advantage of, the man that you were with. He's not here. He's not being responsible for what he did in this. They're just wanting to pull, put the blame on you. He could have went in all kind of directions, but he looked at her and he says, after today, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to fall into that place of someone using you to satisfy their own lives. You go and you don't have to sin anymore. He empowered her. Because he lives, you will always know the enormity of his love for you. How much does God love you? Can you measure how much he loves you? John 3.16 says you can measure it. He loves you through the cross. The cross is God saying, I love you enough that my son will hang on that for your wrong, for your sins. Here's the thing. Anybody, any of us that gets a job and starts making money and opens a bank account and all of this stuff, you know you have bills and you have income, and it's really neat that you have more income than you have bills. That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> and the bills are called debt. The income is called assets. And the cross cancels all our sins. All of them. You know, he just didn't pay for your sins that we've committed in our past life, in the years and months and days we've lived, or the sin that we have today, or the sin that will take place tomorrow. When he died on the cross, that cross pointed back to all humanity and pointed forward to those who would come into existence and says that payment was for everybody's sins. Not only those, those who are accepting of him, but those who reject him. He died for the sins of the whole world. So if it's the cross that pays for our sins, where do we get the assets of life? What adds to the plus side of life? It's the resurrection. The cross wipes out our debt. But you know that if you wipe out your debt, you don't have any income, you're not in a very good way until there's assets. And our assets is the resurrection. The cross and the res resurrection in our spiritual life removes our sins and gives us the asset of his righteousness. And we are his because of his righteousness, not our own. Here's the last one. Because he lives, we can live also. You can live eternally. You know, when we fall under conviction, that's not accidental. The Spirit of God is working in our lives when we come under conviction. Most of the time, we even after we've been saved, the Holy Spirit will almost immediately when we do something, says, you know, that you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't respond it that way. And that's because he lives. He's, he's working in our lives. He's not showing up occasionally and speaking to us. He's constantly speaking to us. And sometimes it doesn't take but a couple of seconds and we realize, man, I was, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. But once faith, once faith is our response to him, 
It's kind of like a lightning bolt that comes into our lives of life and power, and we're able to live a life that we could not without that. We celebrate the Lord's resurrection today, but in reality, every day is resurrection day. Just like Joe Keller saying, every day is Christmas. Well, I want to say every day is, I'm not going to say that other word. Every day is resurrection day. Every day is resurrection day. Every day is our living in the resurrection. We celebrate this. Death, thanatos in the Greek, is an intruder. And it happens in our lives. It happens to people we're close to. We don't want to let go of them. And there's, there's sorrow. But Jesus is the intruder on death. He's the one that robs death of its power. Death is that unwelcomed enemy, and yet Jesus has taken care of that enemy. I think probably I'll just tell you too, if you hear that uh, Charles Lynn is dead, he just changed addresses. Stepped into a greater life than this life. One more passage, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and if the praise team can come back up. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. We could go on and on about because he lives and other aspects of the resurrection. But thank God, thank God, we're not going to be judged on our abilities. Right? On our effort to live a good life. You know, it's really kind of almost an insult to the death and resurrection of Jesus thinking that we can we can get his favor just by trying really hard, doing the best we can. Boy, he went to the cross because nobody could do that. Nobody on their own could save themselves. You know, Jesus saves us from our sin. But the most telling person that he saves us from is ourselves. Save you from yourself, from your determination to live a good life, to be a good, good husband, good wife, good father, good mother. Do the best you can, and it doesn't count for righteousness if you're doing it all in your own power. Would you stand with me? You know, you, you could.
could have surrendered your life to the Lord any time during the service, before the service, after the service. But we're going to pray. this along with the rest of us if you really mean it Jesus I'm I'm confessing my sin to you we pray and you speak those words he will honor them you mean them from your heart you don't have to raise your hand or just believe like Josh but now just believe So I want us to pray this together. And if you that are here will pray it with me, if you're not sure where you stand with the Lord, He will hear you. And He will come and He will rescue you. He will save you. So pray this. Dear Jesus, now it's all right if I confess my sins alone, but of you can confess your sins as well, okay? Dear Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Take away the sin in my life. Even more, put your salvation in my heart. Redeem me by your precious blood. I surrender my life entirely to you. Take it and use it for your glory. Help me to live my life by faith in you and not in myself. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray this morning for those who are here. They don't have to be told day we celebrate your resurrection every day but on this day when the tomb was found to be empty that you conquered everything that are our enemies our flesh our sin our weaknesses were all canceled on the cross and your resurrection gives us the capacity to live out our lives for you Lord resurrection life for that man that woman that young person Lord may they have a confirmation that today they have surrendered their life to you they've turned their lives over to you Lord we confess you as Lord and Savior
There's no problem that you cannot solve. There's no bondage they have that we have that can resist the power of an empty tomb. Your resurrection power, Lord. May April 10th will be the starting point for many, several, or if it's just one in this building who said, I'm done with trying to fix my own life. I want Jesus to fix it and to lead me. And if there's anyone here that prayed that prayer and he says, Pastor, I'm in. Today I prayed that sincerely. And I need, I need people to help me. I need encouragement to live this out. I want you to slip out from where you're standing. Come and just stand right here with me. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to ask God to give you strength. And I want to commit myself to pray for you and others. So if that's you, come and stand here right here with me right now. We're going to believe God. The rest of your life is going to be different. The rest of the